Hello, I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red Claim Credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Today's learning objectives are to describe the effect of vaccination on the incidence of COVID-19 and hospitalization rates associated with the Delta variant and discuss the efficacy of the prophylaxis of COVID-19. This educational activity is supported by independent medical educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Eli Lilly and Company, as well as in-kind support by DKB Med LLC. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Awater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Dr. Allwater, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you, Faith. And uh, as an infectious disease physician, I find uh, the, the tempo of the pandemic at some times uh, approaching uh, whiplash speed. And indeed, hasn't the landscape changed in just a month or so? I will remember that there were times where I saw that there were almost 10,000 or uh, 9,000 cases diagnosed daily in our uh, United States. And now, uh, yesterday, uh, over 140,000 cases um, of SARS-CoV-2 infection diagnosed. Uh, so this all reflects the Delta variant, which is thought to make up over 80% of isolates in most parts of our country. And this hotspot map uh, does reflect some of the areas where community transmission is quite high. I, I had a patient call me that wanted to visit um, her family in uh, Atlanta, and she's an older woman who has a number of health problems in her 80s and a pulmonary disorder. And although she's immunized, um, she wanted to know if it was uh, safe to go. And and I think th these just get harder and harder questions as we're learning exactly what the Delta variant does and means for everyone and uh, uh, means our own uh, sort of risk analyses are definitely differing. Another patient, for example, reported going to a family reunion in New York where you can see from this map, um, uh, rates weren't very high. There were large numbers of family members there, all immunized, um, uh, mostly outdoors, occasionally indoors, and over half of the people in that family reunion uh, have uh, developed COVID-19. So I think we're, and, and again, it's mild and, and, and no one uh, needed to go to hospital, but it just reflects this uh, increased transmissibility of the Delta variant, even um, perhaps despite immunization, although that's not as clear. The Centers for Disease Control uh, recently had a presentation and released some slides that had uh, some important news. Uh, and again, I think the key point from these data 
are that although uh, people who are immunized have decreased risk for developing COVID, it's indeed the fact that the vaccine seems to be still very potent at reducing the risk for severe COVID-19, meaning does it land you in the hospital or do you die of it? And these kind of 25-fold risk reductions are highly meaningful. And others' way of looking at it is that um, only 3 to 5% of people who are in many of the hospitals are immunized. And so most hospitalizations uh, are in people that are unimmunized. And uh, additional information, which should not be a surprise, but could be sometimes misconstrued, is that as you look at the number of people who are immunized and who are hospitalized, that number is going to increase naturally just because so many people are now uh, 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 received both sets of vaccines, but that this does not necessarily mean it's a failure of the vaccines at providing protection. Now, uh, we already commented on that the Delta variant is indeed more transmissible. And I thought this was a useful graphic, again, put out by the CDC, which sort of talks at that R naught value, that uh, reproduction factor. How many uh, other people do, 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 would someone who's infected, if they were just going out and about their activities, go on to give infection to? And what you can see is the sort of change from that R uh, naught that might be between two and four in many circumstances that did include super spreader events, if you remember quite commonly before we had a better handle on this in the early um, spring and, and late winter of 2020, to now where it has shifted and is now more in chickenpox territory. And of course, this is um, a, an infection that can cause death. And so therefore, although not as severe as, for example, the original SARS or the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome virus, um, uh, the transmissibility is, puts it really in a, in a different league, not quite measles territory, but still highly infectious. And then lastly, in terms of somewhat unfortunate guidance that, and I shouldn't use the term unfortunate, but just the change where I remember in early July, I took my mask off. I felt uh, uh, that I could be indoors and not have to wear a mask if I were immunized. Now, uh, if community rates are high, uh, mask wearing is advised. And it's because of information such as this, this rapid communication, which related an experience um, on Cape Cod, uh, often uh, most centered in Provincetown on the Cape that looked at um, over 400 COVID-19 cases, many of whom people have traveled from out of town, uh, three quarters were immunized. And of those people that had testing, I believe it was about 130, had the Delta variant. And of course, many of the uh, people had uh, come into the 4th of July for public events, parties, and so on and so forth. But and you can see from this bar graphing, really the uh, large numbers of people that were mostly immunized that developed COVID-19. Now, importantly, although it, 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 this kind of study can't really tell you that it prevented severe disease, I'll note that 
Um, reports have said that only seven immunized people had uh, landed in the hospital. So it does suggest that uh, only a small percentage actually uh, developed severe COVID-19. However, what we really don't know is um, what proportion of immunized people that are exposed develop infection and, and how, how well do uh, immunized people transmit it. And that's a little bit harder to get at. But uh, you can see on the right-hand part of this slide, the CT or cycle threshold values, um, the lower the number, it means the less cycles that a PCR machine needs to replicate to develop a positive. So the higher your viral burden. So for example, a 10 means there's much more virus as opposed to a 40. And I think the surprising thing from this report uh, is that even uh, immunized people had very similar CT values to unimmunized people, which really speaks to the very high amounts of virus despite immunization that can be propagated in your nostrils, basically, and as a surrogate, probably also in your uh, respiratory system, which means that possibly you um, are going to be as infectious as someone else. And this has led to the recommendations for masking again, uh, especially indoors in many locations where there are higher community rates uh, and uh, to revisit whether we need to have capacity limits and so on. And of course, this is very um, disappointing and frustrating. So shifting gears, I, I do want to just uh, bring up to date a, a new EUA for the monoclonal uh, antibody cocktail, casarivimab and divimab that was granted last week. And this is for a prevention indication. Uh, you know it has already been approved, um, not approved, but given an EUA status for treatment. So someone that's infected with uh, um, the virus and only has mild to moderate disease on an outpatient basis, not approved for hospitalized patients. But this would be uh, for potential use in people that are exposed. And so for adolescents or adults at uh, high risk, and there's a, a list of risk factors for severe disease. But more importantly, although this has been liberalized, it's going to have to be in people that are either unimmunized or have a health condition that uh, may not have a good response to immunization if indeed they got a vaccine. So for example, someone that may have gotten rituximab or has a B cell disorder. And this can be an individual exposure or in a group setting such as a nursing home or prison. And uh, remember the uh, CDC uh, close contact definitions are six feet within someone proven to have uh, COVID-19 uh, for at least 15 minutes over a one day period. And from a phase three prevention trial, there was an 81% reduction in illness uh, among people that um, clearly were um, uh, virus negative at the time that they received the antibody. So uh, I think this is important, especially for your patients that may not respond well to the vaccine and may be um, uh, also at high risk with immunosuppressive illness or other. Uh, the dose is identical to what we use for treatment. And uh, there is an option after four weeks to redose at half uh, the original dosing if there's ongoing exposure, which would probably be most likely in a group setting. So uh, in closing, uh, you know, I, uh, patients have asked me why the CDC has changed their advice, um, how, why, why are the vaccines not working as well? And, 
And I, I'd say the pandemic is not over, of course. There's still uh, large numbers of people being infected, not only in the United States, but worldwide. And, and the vaccines do offer uh, protection against severe disease. So this is still a basic truth. However, uh, the Delta variant and things uh, uh, offer changes. And I think just like the weather, or if you're trying to get through heavy traffic, you're, you're going to have to take in information and make adjustments, but the messaging is, is very important. And uh, uh, many people uh, have thought, well, does natural immunity count? Uh, but it does not seem to be as effective as uh, vaccine-induced immunity, especially if you were infected, for example, early in the pandemic with uh, um, some of the uh, either ancestral strain or, or even um, some of the others which have not gotten as much press. So uh, eventually, I do think the SARS-CoV-2 will become a routine part of human viral infections, but until uh, immunization rates are higher, uh, we will have to try to help not only ourselves and family members, uh, but to protect others. This will no doubt lead to some confusing information, but just as you listen to the uh, weather forecast to get a sense for what's happening in the next day or two, uh, I think this will be also true in how people are trying to uh, uh, take in information and give best recommendations here. So this is, this is something which I think we all uh, uh, get upset when the weather forecast isn't exactly as it was predicted, but uh, we are much the, the same here with COVID uh, weather forecasting. So Faith, we have a couple of questions uh, this week. Yes, we do. And the first question is, what percent of positive COVID-19 samples are actually tested for the variant? Are all labs required to test a certain percentage so that the sample is representative of both state and national levels? Yeah, so Faith, this is a, a good question, but it's really only certain laboratories that have been tasked to um, either forward viral samples or uh, perform sequencing. And I wanted to point out that the Centers for Disease Control had sent up this consortium called SPHERES, which is meant to try to take uh, uh, information from a variety of circumstances, um, uh, hospitals, uh, labs, for example, public health labs, um, academic medical centers and so on, and uh, uh, try to harness and develop a large-scale uh, sequencing effort, which indeed has really taken off since uh, late 2020 until now. So this is where we're getting that information um, uh, that, uh, for example, the Delta virus, um, Delta variant, I should say, accounts for over 80% of the circulating uh, uh, SARS-CoV-2 uh, virions in the United States. So uh, it, there is no obligation that every uh, test is a, a sequence. So it's really just a sampling. And, and to be honest, I'm not exactly sure um, if there's a certain percentage or just uh, samples or if every sample at some institutions are being tested. But um, I think there's enough there across um, uh, the states to really get an idea of what's happening and uh, this is very important and it and, and gives again to that weather forecasting idea some sense as we see now this uh, dramatic uptick in um, infection uh, uh, rates. We can certainly have predicted that a bit from what happened in other countries including India and the United Kingdom and also uh, seeing that dramatic uptick 
really over the last eight weeks of the Delta variant really replacing the Alpha variant as a predominant uh, circulating virus. Really good information. Thank you. The next question is, is the potency of natural immunity from previous SARS-CoV-2 infection related to the severity of illness? So would someone who had asymptomatic infection be considered immune? So I think what we know at this stage is the severity of illness does correlate um, with uh, the a degree of immune response that someone generates. Uh, it is true that the more severe the illness, the higher the viral load. It's also true that typically uh, for an immunocompetent person, there is a more vigorous T and B cell response to severe illness than someone that had mild or perhaps asymptomatic illness. And uh, there's some data that indeed suggests that people that had mild or asymptomatic infection are more likely to get a second um, uh, uh, COVID-19 infection. And this indeed happened to a 19-year-old family member who uh, was in uh, a school and indeed had COVID and then uh, uh, four to five months later had a second bout of COVID-19, otherwise healthy person. So, uh, and I think the first time there were very few symptoms uh, that developed uh, and the second time actually uh, more illness. So, uh, that's sort of just an example of uh, how long someone is protected. It's just such a variable response on the individual that I don't think you could say universally that someone that has mild illness is prone definitely to reinfection. But I would say there's a strong argument regardless um, that if you did have COVID-19 infection, that natural immunity can be boosted through immunization and offer you uh, far uh, higher levels of protection, especially against the circulating Delta variant. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us, and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19. Thanks again for your time, Dr. Alwater. Yeah, thank you, Faith, and thank you very much for uh, tuning in this week. And uh, we'll have future programs. And of course, if you'd like to look up any uh, earlier uh, programs or other COVID-19 information, there are resources available.